gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoop's Journey, episode 128, with a gentleman who has a huge coaching resume, also may have played a little bit of hoop back in his day as well that uh, I'd like to touch on and, and um, check in about as well. A gentleman who, for those of you that have coached at any level, getting to a, you know, a, um, a championship game or level, this man was able to make it to three Final Fours consecutively. Um, numerous Division One programs, a wealth of knowledge. Um, super interested to see where this episode goes and what the takeaways will be. And like I just said to him, finally, you know, knowing Andrew Mavis pays off for once. Uh, we have none other than Mr. Ben Howland with us today. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Aaron. Uh, how about yourself? I'm good, thanks. I'm. Uh, I feel like I've had a cold since literally December, but. You know, when you go through the whole, the, the flu runs through your team thing, it seems like we get two kids knocked off on like a weekly basis, but I've just managed to stay sick the whole time, but it's all good. Um, life's good and, and we're ramping up towards playoff time and, and everything, everything is okay. So yeah, no, no complaints here. You and your family are well? Yeah, everybody's good. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're in Santa Barbara, so it's quite nice. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to rub that in. Hey, yeah, I did. I did take a look through the windows there. You've got a beautiful view, and I'm I'm uh, just outside of Vancouver. So we had we had uh, our closed schools were closed last week with the snow, um, and oh, you know, within three days we had three straight days of rain, and now there's not a drop of snow on the ground anymore, and we're back to twelve degree weather. So good old good old rainy West Coast. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what are you doing with yourself these days um, to keep busy? Is it is it long walks? Is it reading? Um, and how is life for you? Life's great. You know, I've been retired now uh, almost two years, two years in March, and I still uh, get my basketball Jones. I watch a lot of basketball. <laughs> go, I go to you know practices. I've been going out to UCSB and watching Joe Pass from next team uh, during the year, but follow UCLA and follow, you know, Pitt, Northern Arizona schools where I've been following a lot of my friends that are, you know, coaching, you know, TCU in particular because of Jamie. Mm -hmm. uh, he's having another great year. So it's fun for me. And, uh, you know, Jamie was there at NAU with Andrew and mm -hmm. and uh, he, uh, yeah, he's doing a good job, but I have a lot of assistants to different places. So it's just fun for me to, stay connected that way. And I also actually uh, helped out. I was the assistant coach for Coastline Christian Academy where my sixth grade grandson uh, goes. Oh, and so how awesome was, is that? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And, uh, you know, he asked me to coach. So uh, I said I would. And that, that was a fun experience. Just intrigued on that. Um What's what's the approach there for you know being the assistant, knowing it's your grandson, and sort of um, is it kind of offering advice when asked? Is it stepping in? No, when you know what? Uh, yeah. it, it was uh, you know putting the kids through fundamentals and learning how to jump, stop, dribble without watching the ball, and you know how, how to shoot and how to move without the ball. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. It was. Uh, it was, we just uh, had our last game this past Thursday and yeah. won the elusive championship of the <laughs> JV level. Uh, so it was fun. That's awesome. That's, and uh, what a, you know, I mean, the, the amount of games that you've been involved in and just to be able to have those moments must be pretty special, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, they are. 
That's yeah. great. It was fun for the kids because you had a great time. So to me, that's everything. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Especially at that, especially at that age. Um, well, let's go back. Let's let's talk about you. Um, you know, many people that will listen to this episode obviously know your your sort of Division One coaching career. But as a young person um, growing up, like, why did basketball start to become something that you were interested in? You know, when I was a kid here, and I actually grew up in this area of Santa Barbara out in Galita. Mm. Uh, I uh, my mom took me to the Glita Boys Club when I was about six years old, <laughs> and I'll never forget walking in there. And this was a place where there was a lot of kids, a lot of life, a lot of activity. It was a very young community uh, at that time, and uh, so I'll never forget walking down with Mr. Cellini, who was the head of the Boys Club, into the gymnasium for the first time. And, uh, so, you know, when I first walked in there and saw guys playing basketball and they play other sports too, but I, I was exposed early on and, and fell in love with the game and grew up in that gym playing all the time. Mm. And, and so why was it like if it was um, soccer or another sport, do you think you would have been drawn? Like what was it about the game? Was it just the instant connection to you know, some teammates and getting up and down. Do you even remember what it was or is it just a feeling? You know, that, it, yeah. it, it's a great question. It might be, you know, I love football too. My dad loved football. He was from Chicago. Mm. You know, mm. uh, loved watching, you know, the pro game as well. But basketball something just always appealed to me. It was always fun. Uh, and you, and the thing that was great is you could do it by yourself. I mean, you didn't mm-hmm. need anybody else. All you need is ball and hoop. And uh, you can practice, and, you know, you can have fun. Uh, so that was probably a big part of it is, uh, you know, you, you could always play no matter what circumstance. You didn't need somebody else to, to be there in order to, you know, play catch or something like that. You just need a ball and, and a rim. Mm-hmm. And just the, um, the purity of those, you know, older, like kind of just youth leagues or community things like, you know, I, whenever someone tells a story on the show about that being their first experience with basketball, I always picture some sort of you know, a darkish gym with like a stage on the end, you know, and, and kids run up and down. So I think that's what's really cool about the game. And when you started to play that a little bit and let's talk about your high school years, when did you start to think like, Hey, I, I might be able to move on with this post-secondary. When did it become um, something where, you know, you, you found that obsession that we all maybe have had at some point where it didn't feel like work anymore. You just loved it so much. You, you couldn't get enough of it. I would say seventh and eighth grade. You know, we had leagues at the boys' club, and uh, I set the record for the most shots attempted in a game. Uh, Forty-eight. Are you going to talk and, about makes or? Uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about makes. But I, <laughs> I, did, I did attempt forty-eight shots in Ooh. one game. <laughs> it made seventeen of them. Yeah, okay. I still, yeah, I still know my coach, who's now eighty years old, and said, "You, you know what? You really." You knew my role right away. You knew it before I did. And uh, so it's always fun to see Coach Brandish, Larry Brandish. He's a guy, he's 80 years old. He looks like he's about 55. The guy looks uh, like a million bucks. He's in great shape. But he coached his team at the Boys Club. And it was really fun. But he used to keep stats. You know, so you'd know who the leading scorers were for each game. It was quite an ordeal. Uh, so that, that, that was when it became really fun is, you know, when you're competing and you're on a team trying to win a championship and they're keeping, you know, your stats, that, that became pretty special. It was never work. It was always fun. And 
The one thing I always did, Aaron, as a coach, I always tried to stress to my players that I coached mm-hmm. that you've got to find something in life that you love to do, that you're really passionate about. Too many people go through life working a job that they're just doing to make ends meet. They don't really love it. It's like almost torture to have to go through. You know, I, the one thing I feel very blessed about is I, I stayed involved with the thing I love most, which was basketball my entire life. And it was a labor of love versus labor. And uh, so I, I feel very grateful and very blessed to uh, have had that opportunity. I love that perspective. And I, I couldn't agree more. It's something that, you know, I, as a teacher, I try to relate to the kids as well as, you know, don't chase the money. You got to chase something that you can grow in. And I always say to my wife, you know, when I come home and I'm, you know, maybe, maybe grumpy or, you know, not speaking positively about my job, then we need to change the conversation because you got to do what you love. And for you, clearly, um, just as, you know, the one example I know of you would be also the relationships that you get to develop and grow within coaching. And, you know, like you're still in touch with Andrew. I mean, how many years later, right? And those are kind of, you know, the wins are great and the victories and all the, you know, that stuff, the, the you know, the, the, the night's late watching film and doing a good scout, but getting to know Andrew Mavis as a grown adult is, is very cool too, which is something that coaching always also brings as well. Yeah, it really is fun. Uh, you know, to see former players that are raising families have, you know, beautiful lives or contributing to society. It's mm. tough. You go through a lot of things, you know, sadly, we lost one of our players from that Northern Arizona team just about a month ago and had the funeral this past Saturday down in San Diego for Michael McNair, which was really difficult. Guy's 47 years old, died of brain cancer. I had a college team of mine who was my best man, Greg Henderson, just passed away uh, last week and died on Monday. So yeah, it's getting old is, is tough, but there's, mm-hmm. it's fun to stay connected to all your friends, whether it's your teammates, kids that you coached, coaches that you worked with, coaches that you competed against. It's, it's really a, a, you know, it's a special family uh, in the basketball world. Yeah. For We are frozen up here. Uh, um, well, let's let's talk about. Hey Kim, you're in, in your era and generation of. Hear me, Aaron. You're not moving. It's like you're frozen now on the screen. You got me. I, I can hear you. You, you were okay. frozen for a minute. So okay, all right. You'll have to edit yeah. that part. No problem. Now you're moving. Um, now we're okay. good. Okay. Um, just want to touch on, you know, your from your generation perspective, what's the thought process and how do we go about uh, playing Division One basketball out of high school? Um, obviously, you know, going to Santa Barbara and then and then any transferring over. But um, you know, for, for me, for me, yeah. uh, when I was a freshman, I went to Dos Pueblos High School here in Goleta, and my dad, who was a pastor, changed churches. Okay. So we had moved down to the LA area uh, where the new church was and moved to Cerritos. And uh, we moved partly there because I was looking for the best basketball situation. I remember going down with my mom and seeing a few different schools where I thought, you know, basketball was important. And we ended up uh, going with Cerritos, uh, which was a brand new school at the time. And uh, it was fun. I mean, I got to meet a, a lot of, you know, 
good people I'm still friends with, you know, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were my high school teammates. But uh, my whole goal when I got down there was to get back to Santa Barbara and play with all my buddies. Uh, <laughs> Santa Barbara City College at the time had a really good coach named Ed DeLacy and Don Ford, who went on the NBA, a number of local players, including guys that I looked up to that were CIF champions at the Scobos High School in 71, played there. So I just couldn't wait to get back here. I mean, it really is, uh, you know, home for me. Mm. Uh, but I was being recruited by a number of schools and, you know, got a lot of uh, correspondence. And, um, so I, I came back and went to junior college here. We we lost in the state championship my sophomore year. We're 31-4 and four, and then was recruited by basically the big sky level. I know that Idaho showed interest. And Northern Arizona showed some interest. And Weber State, who was a perennial power within the league, uh, I reached out to them because I had a friend who played there, Mark Mattos, who ended up becoming a doctor. And that's why I ended up attending and going to, to Weber State. Okay. Is it, was that was that kind of the main connection? Was your buddy? Or was there was there another school that was close? Well, no, you, know, you know what the main connection for me was? I wanted mm-hmm. to go where you're going to win. So when I was recruited sure. by Idaho and I was recruited by Northern Arizona, I look at the back of their uh, periodical information they sent to me about their programs and was like, Every year, it was either Weber State or Montana that won the Big Sky. Mm. I wanted to go where I'm going to win. The whole idea is to win. And, uh, you know, at the time, we actually, they were just finishing a 12,000-seat arena that was going to be brand new. In fact, I played in the first game ever. We beat 19th ranked in the country, Long Beach State at home, in that first game ever in the D Event Center back in 19... uh, 77 uh yeah so uh, that was that was a fun memory that's awesome um once you started to become a head coach did you use anything or think about those times when you were a player and people were recruiting you like you know i think one of the things is that you know when you go through those experiences you can take good and bad from them did you apply anything into your recruiting um based on your experience from that or did you have a different perspective by the time you were having those conversations, trying to get uh, kids to come to your schools? You know what? I wasn't a highly recruited player, so I didn't experience the type of recruiting that I mm-hmm. administered. I mean, to me, it's all about your relationship you build with a kid, his family. And, uh, you know, then there, there were different rules. You could call them as much as you wanted, and they change it to once a week. I mean, you know, we saw every rule change known to man, <laughs> uh, you know, during my career anyway. And, uh, but it's, it's all about, you know, making and, and finding the right kid that fits the university and program that you represent, you know, like a kid, you know, uh, going to UCSB, which was my first full-time job, had to be a good student. You couldn't just recruit anybody because it's a UC school. And so therefore very difficult, uh, standards right. and you have to be able to compete against really good students. So that, you know, everywhere is different. You know, like in Northern Arizona, we were in the middle of the mountains in a small college town, and I ended up going with the profile. I wanted great shooters that were from small towns, you know, that weren't going to be, you know, bored because they're in a town of, you know, 40,000 people as opposed to 4 million. And so you had to find the right kid that could fit that environment. Yeah. 
And the, the pit, it was an inner city kit. It was inner city school, Northeast. I mean, you know, we recruited, the, you know, the Eastern cities. Uh, so everywhere is different, you know. I love that reflection and, you know, something, this is why I love doing this, this podcast is I never would have thought, um, you know, people probably make assumptions that coaches would just stick to their style and kind of stick to one way, regardless of where they were. But it sounds like, um, early on you understood that, um, and you didn't have the ego to think, well, it's my way or the highway. Yeah. There's going to be some standards and expectations, but we've also got to be adaptable in who I'm bringing in. Right. Um, Barry, that's. Good stuff. You, you, know, you know, it's interesting, Aaron, is that mm -hmm. like in Northern Arizona, we led the country yeah. in, in three-point shooting percentage three years in a row. Yeah, you were like a 2023 team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then at Pitt, it was all defense. I mean, we got a bunch yeah. of great athletes that could really defend. and We were yeah. super physical. I mean, it was like, you know, we, we, we were very, very physical and tough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so everywhere is different. Uh, it's unique, but no question. And those Northern Arizona teams were like today's teams. We shot a lot of threes and mm -hmm. we actually finished one, one of those three years. We were number one in overall field goal percentage too. We had really good shooting teams and, wow. and Andrew Mavis might be the best shooter I ever coach. It's either him or, uh, Ross Land, who was one of his teammates at Northern Arizona. I mean, unbelievable shooters. Can we just pause quickly and ask, what what do you think Andrew Mavis in 2022 is like? You know, where does his career go from there? Because I think the game has changed so much. You, you just said, you've, you know, the amount of players you've coached and he's at the top two of shooting ability. Now with the three-point shot being so predominant and so strong, what do you think an Andrew Mavis is like in today's game? Oh, I think he's even more uh, coveted because... Mm -hmm. The, the analytics of the three-point shot. I mean, I for I don't think we would have ever got him at Northern Arizona today. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he would have gone to a much higher level, and uh, rightfully so. I mean, he could have played anywhere because he's a better shooter than anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, and a smart player, tough. You know, great, great. Uh, you know, conditioned athlete. I mean, he he could run for days. He never got tired. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you're going through your playing days. When did you start to sort of see yourself as a coach or as a player? Did you have that coach's mind where you felt you felt like you could see the game differently already? And and when did you think, hey, like I'd like to really get on the other side of things and and look at some X's and O's? You know, when I was a seventh grader, first year of junior high, I told one of my closest friends, Tom DeMarcus, he reminded me of this. 10 years ago that I'm going to be a division one head basketball coach. No way. Yeah. So I, I apparently yeah. made my decision as a 12 year old. <laughs> uh, Didn't even have armpit hair, but you knew you were going to do for your career, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I, uh, I went and played South America, down in Uruguay right out of college. And played yeah. I saw that. And I had a chance to go back and play again next year, but I wanted to get my, my coaching career started. I really knew that that's something that, you know, was going to be key for me in terms of having the life that I wanted to have. So I wanted to get started. So I came back, finished my degree, and then got my graduate assistantship at Gonzaga for one year with Jay Hillock, who was my assistant coach here in Santa Barbara at City College. Uh, and that was really, you know, that was a great experience, you know, working against Stockton every day and, 
who was our point guard at Gonzaga that year. And wow. I actually had, had to go quit in October. So I used to foul and grab Johnny quite a bit as a 23-year-old. <laughs> I noticed. I noticed uh, your your degree from Gonzaga was in administration. Um, was it because I I have my master's from Gonzaga as well, and it's in leadership and administration. So I thought that was kind of cool. That, you know, um, I was in PE. Yeah. Okay. Physical education and administration. Yeah. Yeah, you sound sound just like a regular high school teacher like myself. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, and talk talk about that learning that first year Gonzaga. I mean, you you mentioned a little bit you got stocked and um, is it overwhelming? Is it to take it all in, or are you just eating it all up and and uh, just loving every minute of it? I was loving every minute of it. It was yeah. a great experience. Uh, but you know, a lot of film study. You know, at that time Gonzaga had no money. I mean, we had a ten thousand dollars recruiting budget, so the full time wow. went out would be gone for weeks on end because they were sleeping on floors and driving a, an old beat-up car just going from place to place to see kids. Uh, but it, it, was, it was a great experience and uh, a great league at that time. You know, USF at that time was at Quentin Daly, had some really good players, and they were, you know, Pepperdine was really good at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jim Herrick was the coach uh, who, oh, yeah. uh, you know, went on to UCLA to win a national championship. Uh, but it, it was it was a fun experience, and it really, you know, got the hook in me even further. You know, to be involved in that. That was also the year. Um, trying to think, yeah, it was uh, eighty four. I'm trying to remember uh, who won the national championship that year. Uh, but you know, Stockton should have made the Olympic team, and uh, they ended up. Bobby Knight uh, keeping one of his own players on the team instead, mm. but uh, it was it was a very very fun experience. And after one year, I got a chance to to come to UCSB and, and work for my former coach Ed DeLacy, and uh, you know that was a great experience for me to get my foot in the door as a 24, 25 year old mm-hmm. as a young assistant and start to really learn. Uh, Eighty four was that Georgetown Hoyas over Houston in Seattle. I think you. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm looking it up here. Georgetown Hoyas over Houston. Yeah, John Thompson. Um, yeah, nice. Um, as a, and I, one thing, I'm always curious uh, as a younger, as a young coach in your generation. You know, nowadays it's like coaches can just hop on YouTube. They can find drills. How are you learning and growing? Obviously, you're working with coaches, and you know, you've had coaches and people, and you have roles that you're doing that you're learning in, but. How are you expanding your wealth of knowledge? Is it through conversation? Is it reading books? Is it asking questions? It's all, it's, it's a lot of it. You know, we go to clinics and, you know, mm-hmm. that thing was big. But a lot of it is just who you're competing against and who you're watching and who you're studying on film. So, you know, you're, you're seeing what they're doing and how, how they, you know, do it. And then, you know, you go from there, what you like. Like, I really liked at that time, you know, Don Monson, was very successful in University of Idaho. They had they were fifth in the country that year at University of Idaho, which is unheard of. Ended up beating Iowa and, and then lost to Oregon State in the tournament. But I, you know, I really liked Boyd Grant at the Fresno State. Great coach. 
really like how they played. Loved watching Tark's teams, you know, and how hard they play and their man-to-man defense. So it was fun to study teams and steal from them. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. the thing about coaching, you're always stealing from others. For sure. You know, seeing stuff that you like that you want to incorporate with what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I miss the old, like really good clinic days too. I mean, I go down to the one in Vegas, the Nike clinic there and stuff, but I, it's, you know, the clinics were, and it's also an opportunity to network and meet other coaches, right? You have the lunch break and you, you know, you go, and then after the clinic's over, if you're staying over, you go for a beer with someone and talk more basketball and you, you network that way, right? That kind of that face-to-face networking, you know, not to sound, I don't want to sound old or anything, but you know, it is different. I agree. That that was a a big part of the networking is getting to know people, mm-hmm. you know, in, in those, those situations. For sure. So then you spend a lot of time with, you know, coach DeLacy at uh, Santa Barbara and, you know, you apply a couple times and don't get the head coaching position. Um, yeah, I, I was with, I was with Ed DeLacy for one year. Okay. I knew okay. he had already been there for, I knew there was a good chance he might not survive, which he didn't. But I was very lucky. So the next year, Jerry Pym from the University of Utah came in, and uh, he uh, ended up taking the job, Southern California guy, played at SC, and he ended up keeping me on the staff. I was from here, and we had had a relationship because I played against his team, so I was at Weber. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was at Utah, and we would play them every year. And so uh, I was very fortunate because I worked for Jerry for 11 years here. I was here a total of 12 years at UCSB in my hometown. And that was really a lot of fun. And, you know, it was back in the day when the Big West had UNLV and Utah State. And, you know, uh, I had some, some New Mexico State, Boise State, Fresno State. had really good league, a uh, multiple bid league. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. Was that like your first maybe kind of aha moment to the the professional side of things when, you know, you lose a coach and then it's kind of that, oh, well, what's happening here, right? There's a, there might be a chance where, you know, whoever comes in isn't going to keep me. Um, or did you have a moment before that where you're like, okay, this is a different ball game now? Uh, you know, I understood that from day one. I, yeah. If you don't understand that, then you're slow. Mm-hmm. And so... Is that stressful or do you just sort of take it, you know, month by month, year by year and know that you're going to do your best job. And if someone doesn't see it as, as good enough that, you know, you could get your papers and like, you know, cause it is, that is one of the things about coaching at, at a high level is there can be some turnover. No, there's a total lack of, uh, continuity slash, uh, when you're in coaching, you know, you can get fired every year. Mm-hmm. Every year you're worried about your job. Every single year, even with a multi-year contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you always feel that as a coach, hundred percent. That's one of the big motivators. I don't want to get fired. I have a family. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. is there more pressure to implement your culture and system like quicker? You know, like for an example, out here in the public school system they rotate principles every five years and five to seven. And my thinking is how can you even create change in a school in five years? Right. So as a head coach, you know, you, you get your job first job at Northern Arizona kind of taken over. Is there a little bit of pressure in the back of your mind to get that culture going, knowing that at any moment things can change or is it, you know, I'm just, just curious to know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, right away. 
And, mm-hmm. and I, well, I was an idiot when I took my first job <laughs> in Arizona. It was a, it was a one year contract. Oh, <laughs> they didn't give me. I was working right. on a one year. So at the end of every year, you, oh. know, you get fired. So it, it, you had to have your head examined to take that job, but I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But absolutely, you want that culture right away so that if we're going to go down, we're going to go down doing it my way. Yeah. First, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, you know that, that was a very difficult job. From the previous decade prior to when I took over the job, they were the bottom 10 of all Division One schools in winning percentage. Oh. So there were, there were 296, 296 teams at the time that had played the previous 10 years. In Division One, and they were in the 286 to 296 range. Uh, so, not a lot of success. Yeah, that's that's one way to put it. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess in one half, it's there's stress there because it's like, wow, they don't know what winning looks like. But also, hey, I can try some stuff and go for it. And and you're very known. And and Andrew t- t- touched on it in his episode. Just your approach to getting shooters and, you know, getting all the small towns. And then how did it feel to just sort of see the shift happen and then making, you know, you win the conference and make the tournament like for a school like that. Amazing work is so fantastic. Um, Was it almost like overwhelming at how quick it happened or did it feel like it was 20 years packed into five? (laughs) Well, you know, the first two years uh, when I was there when we were building it, uh, I think we won 18 games in two years. So it was rough. Yeah. Uh, you know, taking over and then implementing. And, you know, the first year, you know, you were building mostly with freshmen. We played a lot of freshmen. Then year three, you know, Andrew came in. He was a uh, JC transfer from uh, Utah and a uh, really good player. Um, really, really good player. We felt lucky to get him. And Majerish really helped me with that. Rick Majerus had placed him there. And, uh, they had really, they came close to pulling the trigger on him and probably mm. wishes would have. <laughs> uh, but Rick and I became really good friends. He's one of the great influences of my life in coaching. Mm. When I was an assistant at UCSB, uh, I befriended him and we became real close friends. And I learned a ton about basketball and just how to run a program from him as well. Uh, but, you know, Andrew, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, he's from Vancouver, but his JC had one, was a one light town and a big yeah. turkey, turkey farming community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Snow Junior College out, out there. That's right. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, to, to in our third year, we won the conference. But, our bet, our point guard, who was MVP of the league, blew his knee out midway through the conference, Charles Ooh. Thomas, which was brutal. We were winning the first eight conference games by an average of 17 points a night. We were 8-0. We ended up winning the league, but we lost in the conference tournament. And the biggest reason is because of him. If we had had him, we'd have gone to the tournament a year earlier with him. And, but he, he blew his knee out. I'll never forget it. Um, it happened at, at Cal State Northridge. That was brutal. And then we get back from that trip. So we're, we're this has happened. We still don't know that it's blown. Yeah, you know, we got to do the MRI when we get back to Flagstaff. And we get there and we pull up 
And my backup point guard, who was a freshman, Rod Hutchins, his girlfriend was waiting for the bus. We get off the bus. His mom had had a uh, stroke and had died mm. at 41 years of age. Oh. So he's getting back from this trip, finding out that his mom died last night. She didn't tell him until she could see him in person the next day. So, you know, he was really, really obviously traumatized by that whole uh, experience of losing his mother. Sure. So both both our point guards went down, uh, you know, and it was just brutal, really hard, you know. Yeah. Uh, and what's funny is, you know, all these kids still stay in touch. I mean, we're on a thread and everybody's still communicating with one another to this day. And that's, you know, 25 years later. Yeah. It's really cool that uh, there's still that co- real deep connection. If you're a basketball player out there in the lower mainland, or uh, BC in general, and you're looking for somewhere to play, we have a proud sponsor, and that is PGC Hoops. You can find them at pgchoops.ca. And the thing that makes them unique and that we're proud to sponsor them and then be a sponsor of us is it's a true nonprofit basketball organization found in the east side of Vancouver. The mission is cost-effective elite basketball for all. Find the website, take a look, register your kids, register yourself, look for the programs. And if you have any questions, reach out to me and we can contact you with the right people. This is a good program for the right reasons. We appreciate you, PGC Basketball. Well, especially when you go through things like that, I think it only brings teams closer together. It's because they realize, hey, like, you know, between the coaching staff and these, you know, 10, 11 other guys, this is really all I have right now, you know? And and I think um, that can bond people even closer, which is, that's, those are cool stories. I mean, as sad as, as some of them are to hear, how did the team stay resilient after dealing with those two things, knowing that you have, you know, one guard who's, mentally just out of it because of what he's dealt with his mom and then losing an injury. How well, did he, he went home? He, he was gone. Yeah, he like did. Hey, yeah. 10 days at least I went down for the funeral. So we had one game. We didn't yeah. even have a point guard <laughs> and uh, we ended up beating Montana. And I'll never forget that. Uh, Ryan Abbott came in, played the point, did a good job, helped us win that game. Uh, and he's really a two. So yeah, it was it was difficult, and we ended up be losing to a good team in Cal State Northridge because they pressed the whole game, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a point to really help us handle that, and that hurt us a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our guys ended up going to the NIT, and then we went down and played Arkansas. I'll never forget this. Uh, prior to the game, they were doing a uh, scout report on our team, and. Uh, or maybe it was post game. They, they mentioned that Andrew Mavis had more moves than a trout in a hot skillet. <laughs> they said more moves than a trout in a hot skillet. Uh, I've never heard that one before. So I, I thought that was uh, pretty cool. And, and that was at Arkansas. So years later, I'm in the SEC at Mississippi State, and that guy is still writing for you know Arkansas basketball so that was really funny for me to say hey i know you you wrote that article that was really fun yeah <laughs> that's awesome um and, and then 
so, you know, you build the program there, other opportunities come up, you apply and you, and you get the job at Pitt, but also, you know, you mentioned the inner city school, but it's kind of same idea where you're, you're trying to turn the corner with a program again and get it going. Um, ready for that challenge and taking that on as well. I mean, what are your, <clears throat> like, do you have certain core covenants or philosophies with each team? Do you guys come up with certain words? Is there certain standards? Like, is it communicated between player coach? How do you come up with that and create that culture that seems to have been so strong to be able to turn programs around? Well, you know, our culture was basically just based on, you know, being really hardworking, being mm -hmm. tough, being together, being unselfish, uh, working your tail off, outworking your opponent, uh, really, really being unselfish and, uh, you know, a good teammate to everybody. Uh, wasn't, wasn't anything, you know, uh, out that was different or, you know, special at the time, I don't think. And we really believed in playing good defense, which I know is you always control your effort defensively night in, night out. That gives you a chance every night. Uh, and now we get athletes to do it. Uh, but I was really lucky to get that job. I mean, for the, for the University of Pittsburgh in the Big East with, you know, Syracuse, Connecticut, and Georgetown, and Villanova, et cetera, to hire some yokel, local yokel from Flagstaff. It <laughs> was quite different. And they actually, my AD at the time, Steve Peterson, who hired me, really took a lot of crap for it, but he really felt vindicated when we ended up doing really well. For sure. Uh, it was a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, scary, scary at the same time because it's completely different than <laughs> anything I had seen before in terms of, you know, how we were going to have to play to be successful, how we're going to have to recruit to be successful. Um, you know, fortunately for me, I had really good staff and, and it started with Jamie Dixon, who was my assistant both at Northern Arizona and then again at Pitt. Mm -hmm. And he's done a great job too. We've had his assistant, Jamie McNeely, has been on the the podcast as well. I don't know if you've met Jamie yet, yet at all. Um, one of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, just getting to know you here, Coach, over the you know thirty minutes or so we've been chatting, you seem like a pretty humble guy, and maybe not an awards kind of guy. But how does it feel to get the call and know that you're the Naismith Coach of the Year? I mean, that's got to be. I mean, that's the highest standard for the level that you're coaching and. Um, how did that feel to, to be presented that award? That must've been pretty cool. It was, that was very special. And, uh, you know, I, I felt, you know, really honored to get that, uh, award. And, and that was 2002 when basically, you know, Pitt had, had never even been to the uh, Big East tournament finals. We went three years in a row, really sort of standard. And then, mm -hmm. uh, we went my second year, my third year, my last year, we won it in year four. Then the team I left behind went again, back to back, more years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so it was really, really a, a special time. And you know, Pittsburgh is such a great sports town. I mean, they love their team, they love their home team, yeah. and the way we played embodied the city. I mean, it was a black and blue, you know, lunch pail team that just beat the hell out of you. And there was a great relationship between the town and those teams because. They embodied Pittsburgh. It was like the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing basketball. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was pretty fun. We had, you know, Brandon Knight, who was the first team All-American and yep. really good current coach at Rutgers as an assistant. 
Uh, oh, he had, is, hey? Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, he's doing really well. And then we had, we had Julius Page. You have to, uh, I want you to Google him because he has one of the top dunks in the history of college basketball. Really? Yeah, in my second year, his freshman year, we're playing at Georgetown. They're 16 and 0, 9 in the country. And uh, he had a dunk at 6 1 where his whole head's over the rim on a seven footer named Ruben Boonjay Boonjay from Cameroon. I, I remember that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I want you to Google it Julius Page. I'm and, looking at and, it right now. Always oh, coming down the trail here, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But wait till yeah. you see that. That, that dunk right there won that game for us. I've never thought I'd see one play, but it fired our guys up so much. It was so incredible. He almost that put we, him in the basket. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got to watch it in slow motion. Really appreciate it. That was voted one of the top 25 dunks in the history of college basketball. But really? We had good guards. We had a kid, Jerron Brown, who was a – all, all three of those kids were, were first team all big big Easter in their career. Mm-hmm. We had excellent bags. I mean, it was really a fun time. And, uh, you know, the way we played, it, you know, everybody had a chip on their shoulder because nobody was McDonald's All-American. Mm-hmm. So whenever we play against those guys, these guys couldn't wait to kill them. They just, they were licking their chops. Oh, <laughs> that's so fun to see kids. They want to prove themselves because they never got that recognition, that love of being, you know, all this or all that. And they come out yeah. and just kick ass. I mean, I, that's nothing that I love more than that. Kind of a good feeling when you don't, you know, you don't need to have the inspirational pregame talk because the boys' eyes just say it all right there. You know, it's yeah. almost like, coach, get out of the way and let us do our thing for today. You know, Brandon was probably the best leader I ever coached. I mean, because he had the team collectively together on and off the floor. They were together all the time. And mm. you know, it really started with him. And that leadership, I mean, you're right. I didn't have to coach him. It got to be, you know, they knew what was up. And they were coaching. I mean, they, they really wanted it. They knew it themselves, what they wanted. Yeah. No, that, that, those are fun teams to be a part of. I love that. Um, but also, you know, I mean, a, a sign of, of good of good coaching and recruiting, you've got the kids who have, they're bought in and they're ready to go and, and to compete. And and I think that says a lot about what you were able to establish there. Um, and then obviously you didn't get the opportunity to coach Levon Kendall, who is another Vancouver. I recruited writer. him. I recruited him. Okay, I was wondering because he's around. Yeah, he's close to around your. Yeah, okay. I in fact, you know what? He was on the team. He redshirted his freshman year my last year. Okay, and I just saw him last year. We had a uh, reunion of that 2003 Big East, you know, first championship uh, of the Big East tournament ever. Yeah, yeah, he was there. He's a great guy. Really yeah, great overseas. He's doing really well. Yep, happy for him. Another guy who's not aging at all either. It's kind of annoying to right. see. He got the yeah, nice yeah. hairline. It's still looking good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. Yeah. Really bright too. Very yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, his dad was his dad was a musician. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a. Um, oh, what was the name of the band? I should know this. Anyways, yeah, he was a big time musician. So he was. Right. He saw a lot growing up, and he was a very well rounded guy. Yeah. And then, and then, obviously, you get the opportunity to go to, you know, a place like UCLA, probably the most storied basketball program in in all of America. 
Um, what an opportunity. But I want to just ask quickly about um, the anchor and, you know, and, and just the support system around what it takes to have people in your corner family-wise that, you know, because it's, it's a hard craft to do in terms of moving around and asking people to uproot their lives, right? Um, touch I'm on for my kids. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about just sort of like your home team and how they supported you through all these transitions and new scenarios and situations. You know, my wife, Kim, has been great. You know, we've been married 43 years now. Woo! And she was Congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. Where did Every you guys step. meet? Uh, she was a cheerleader at Weber where I played. So we uh, met. Once she, saw uh, you, uh, once she saw you in those short shorts, it was over, right? It was. I mean, you, you called it right there. Yeah, she, <laughs> she was smitten. She She's was only smitten. human. She's only human, right? <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, we were together and we had our kids and, and they, they had some tough moves. I mean, you know, we moved mm. to Flagstaff. They were pretty young, so it wasn't as traumatic. But when you move from Flagstaff, like for my son, Adam, his first day of junior high school, he didn't know a person. Yeah. Pittsburgh, that was brutal because mm -hmm. that's a very awkward age, oh. you know. And my daughter, I think, was a sophomore in high school. And, you know, it wasn't easy. She's a cheerleader. But then four years later to move again for him was very difficult. Say, hey, we're moving to L.A. And he was just really, you know, had a great experience you know, the previous two years and was really liking it. And I'm just like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he wanted to stay there. And I'm like, no, I, I just can't support that. you got to be with your family. Mm -hmm. uh, but it all worked out. And uh, my kids, Meredith, my daughter, who's the oldest, she's a pediatric oncology nurse at UCLA. Wow. It's been there for 16 years, and she got a nursing degree at Pitt, her master's at UCLA. It's been very, very good at what she does, and it takes a special person to, to do what she does, to work with kids with cancer, help them and their families. And our son, Adam, it went to UCLA in an undergrad and then uh, Pepperdine Law School, and he's a system district attorney here in town in Santa Barbara with his four kids, four boys, and his wife. So it's fun for us to be close by and see them, yeah, you know, uh, at different stuff and, and spend time with them. But you know, it, it, it's, it, it was very difficult for them, and I turned down some opportunities mm -hmm. just to not put them through it again, you sure. know. <laughs> Because it is hard. I totally appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good that you're aware of that. And so UCLA. Wow. And then just sort of bless you. The whole nother level. I mean, it's a bit of a different conversation. I'll never forget um, when, when you're at the Vegas clinic, uh, Bayheim just talked. Someone asked him a question about recruiting. And he basically just said, like, well, it's easy to recruit when they just see the Syracuse sign on my shirt or something to that effect. Right. I mean, talking about going from the Hills of Northern Arizona to, you know, Poly Pavilion and UCLA campus a little bit different, but also, you know, still a fantastic opportunity for you and the runs that you went on, you know, you're talking about going from the bottom of the barrel, literally your, your coaching career is almost full circle in terms of bottom of the barrel team that, the lowest in you know top lowest 15 of uh loss percentage or win percentage now you got ucla and you make three final four appearances in a row and 
and really build that program and continue the success that they've had. So talk about those years and, you know, and you're playing, how many amazing pros you had the opportunity to work with and the experiences you had there as well. Yeah. UCLA was a great experience. I mean, I grew up watching UCLA basketball as a kid here in Goleta. I used to replay the games at 11 o'clock at night that Kareem played in, Bill Walton, Sidney Wicks, all the great, you know, former uh, greats that played for Coach Wood. And so it was always fun. Mm-hmm. It's almost boring because they never lost. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, it was like they're, not, they're never going to lose. So we already know that part. But it was still very, very fun to uh, follow. And, uh, and then as a young coach, it's UCSB to see all the success they had down there uh, was really special. Uh, but to come home for me and be close to my mom and dad who were in their seventies at that time, uh, to coach at a place like UCLA that, you know, has the tradition and history was, was unique. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's, there's, a and we got to coach, like you said, a lot of great players, our first recruiting class, you know, I'll never forget, you know, Aaron Aflalo committed. Mm-hmm. In a week, and then we got Jordan Farmer not that long after that. And those are two NBA guards that commit right away. And then we end up getting Josh Ship, who's a really good player, and Lorenzo Mata, another. I mean, both had long careers and played professionally. Uh, you know, Josh made a lot of money in Turkey. Lorenzo, who was uh, Latino, spent a lot of his career in Mexico. It was really beloved figure down there, six eight, shot blocking, Duncan, high flying. The Mexican was was a big deal down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that was really fun. I mean, uh, when coach, I got a chance to coach so many good players and uh, you know great kids. You know, I think we had over twenty NBA players that ended up playing in the NBA during my tenure at UCLA. And Trevor Reza was a freshman that year. You know, Dijon, we, we had a lot of guys uh, that ended up, you know, making it. And, you know, Darren Carlson, Luke Bouchard, Bob Mute, Drew Holiday, Kevin Love, and so many good players. Uh, you know, it would take a while to name them all, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had a lot of them. I mean, you know, and even my last year, we won the conference. Uh, with uh, Jordan Adams, Shabazz Muhammad, Kyle Anderson, all first-round picks. And mm-hmm. had Zach Levine signed to come in, and he was a first-rounder. So, uh, you know, UCLA can can get good players, no question. Yeah. Um, let's talk about quickly about Drew Holiday. He seems like such a phenomenal human being. I've seen so many interviews, listened to him on the podcast. What was he like to coach? Yeah, I, I had him literally for nine months. You know, he yeah. was there and he was gone. Yeah. But he was great. <laughs> he was great to coach. Uh, really smart, incredibly bright. He and his entire family, just mm-hmm. really, really together mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he met his wife, uh, who uh, it's well chronicled, you know, had some real issues with, uh, you know, a tumor that he supported her with, and she ended up surviving it, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, brain cancer and you know he, he's a uh, the constant unselfish player i mean he makes everybody better you know when you're talking about great players mm-hmm. those are the guys that make others better he's he exemplifies that as well as anybody and he's a great defender I mean, plays both ends of the floor has a ring i mean couldn't be more happy for him 
uh, and all the success he's had. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very special. We talk about, you know, him being there for nine months. Does that change things as a coach? You know, where, you know, you say like Northern Arizona and even parts of Pitt probably where you're not having all these McDonald's all Americans, like you mentioned, and guys are probably in it for more of the long haul. Is there, do you, do you adapt things within that? Knowing that a lot of these guys are going to be lottery picks. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. With him, there, we knew there was a good chance he, he could leave after one, but you never know for sure. Sure. And, and you know, I, I don't know that anybody's ever been hurt by playing longer. Like Darren Collison played four years in college and could have left after his sophomore year. And yeah. actually helped him because he could not have handled having to sit on the bench if he had gone early. Because mm-hmm. uh, it drove him crazy to have to sit. Yeah. I mean, he, he wanted to play so bad always. He would be sitting there fuming when he's not in the game. And, and, and not, not in a bad way, just in a, you know, I love to play so much. But, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it it's very, very unique. Um, and, you know, the UCLA would be there for 10 years was a, a great experience. Coach for a lot of great players. Yeah. A lot of great relationships. And, and obviously we had, you know, a fair amount of success. Yeah, for you, that's one way to put it. Um, now, just being aware of time and everything, I just one question in terms of the UCLA, those runs and all the success and everything. Is there one season that sticks out? Like when we talk to we talk to num- numerous coaches on this podcast, and it seems like many coaches they spend a lot of time dwelling on the. They can remember the losses, or like you mentioned, a bad injury as opposed to a victory. Was there one of those Final Four runs that? Um, still sticks with you today, or are you just sort of content with giving it a good run and you know letting the chips fall and the season ends where it ends? You know, because um, making it to a Final Four once is one thing; to do it as many times as you did um, is a testament to your coaching ability and to the the kids that you coached as well. Probably the the, the greatest memory during uh, any of those runs was the win over Gonzaga because we were down. I think 17 or 18 with 10 minutes to go mm-hmm. in Oakland, uh, you know, to get to the elite eight and, uh, made this miraculous comeback. They were, they were really good. You know, they had Morrison and were a really good team. Uh, so to come back and win that. And it's funny cause I talked to friends and people I knew and they, they said the whole building was like stunned when the game was over. Like, did that just happen? Did we just see that. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's how wild it was. And they still play that game. You know, Gus Johnson still has the call, who, who's just absolutely fantastic in terms of the announcer on that game. But that that, that was a pretty special uh, thing to, to go for the first time. And we ended up beating Memphis in the next game in a really ugly, uh, neither team could score game. We beat LSU before losing to a really good Florida team for the championship that Noah and Horford they were stacked. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they were really good and really well coached. Back to back, uh, yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, all of them were fun. All of me. Hmm. Um. Was that the game where they, like, then it, it kind of went viral a little bit, where they panned in on Morrison and he was crying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. That's right. And yeah. I think one of, one of our players helped him up. Iron a fly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Lift him up. Yeah. What um. 
what was it like coaching Russell Westbrook before we just sort of uh, move on to the next phase and, and some fun questions? Like, was he, how, what was his, I'm just curious, what was his leadership ability like? Was it, did it take time for him to develop that? Or was he sort of a, a go-getter like he's always been? I mean, you see him now and, you know, he's coming off the bench for the Clippers and that's really changed their team around in terms of, and I don't know if people really credit that enough to him to be able to step back and, and let the other guys sort of take that. And now you see how they're competing and playing. They're almost unstoppable. What was it like working with a guy like that? Who's just sort of like, we're talking about a top player of all time in the history of basketball. You know what I mean? An NBA. Yeah. It was special to, you know, yeah. and had no idea he'd be that good. You know, when he signed with us, he was a late signee in April of his senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, it was very young for his class. So he was 17 when he started college in September. So he was 6'2", maybe 175 <laughs> when he entered UCLA. And he ended up, at the, by the time he was a sophomore, he was 6'4", you know, 195. Uh, and had really grown and gotten stronger. But he really developed his skill package. You know, he always played with such exuberance, such a love for the game, such a great teammate. Mm-hmm. He only, he, only know, he only knows one speed, which is full speed always. There is no, you know, cooling it or taking it easy. I mean, he, he, he's a competitor extraordinaire. So but it's he real. So hey, much, like he's actually he like so that. much fun. Hey, let me tell you something, Eric. Yeah. With the start of every practice, we do five-man weave, and he'd always be in one of the two outside lanes, dunking the ball as hard as he could every day. I mean, he loved to run and just fly. I mean, I would too. If I could fly like that, I mean, well, I mean that would be a joy. Uh, he, he was amazing. And his sophomore year, which is last year, you know, he had a, just an unbelievable year, totally selfless, you know, just gave himself for the team, only cared about winning. I, mean, I can't say enough great things about what a great leader he was how fun he made it for his teammates. I mean, we just had great personalities, really strong. I mean, and, you know, you talk about a great defender. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, he locked up a lot of really good players during his tenure. I remember we played Davidson, and Curry was six for 19 in the game. And, and he really did a great job defending stuff. Yeah. And they were really good. They ended up going to the Elite Eight that year. Davidson team that we beat. Yeah. Uh, I think they had us down early, too, like 10 or 12. They were good. Mm. Well coached. But, yeah, he was, a, he was a joy to coach. And, you know, Kevin was the same. You know, yeah. He was there one year. And, you know, he was the number one player in the country coming out. Mm-hmm. And you talked about fundamentally sound. And another great leader, you know, and a guy who – you know, really, really was skilled. I mean, his skill package is beyond belief for a kid coming out of high school. That's because of his dad. His dad, Stan, was a pro. And yep. He taught him perfect fundamentals at an early age. I mean, his two-handed passes or his ability to outlet the ball over his head, just all the little things that, you know, you have to do early on to be really good at. He did, and he was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't be happy for, you know, happier for players that have gone on and done what they've done. Both, both, uh, you know, and, and I'm happy, you know, for the guys that end up getting rings. And Norman Powell's got a ring with Toronto. And yeah. Trevor has two uh, with the Lakers, has the Jordan. Drew Holly's got one. I mean, we got a bunch of guys that have 
uh, had the opportunity to to get a ring. Obviously, you know, Kevin got one with Cleveland. It's it's fun, special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is probably very long, neat. I mean, it's neat. Do you get uh do you find yourself when you're watching those games, you get a little bit more emotionally invested when it's a big game on the line and it's one of your guys that you've had the opportunity to work with? Yeah, I, I yeah. always were supporting those guys. I watch all their games. And yeah. And take great joy in, in watching them have the success they've had. I love it. Love it. Um, and so, you know, moving on, Mississippi State comes up and I don't want to, you know, pass by this part, but I, I am curious as to, you know, like, um, you, you make take them to another tournament appearance and another program working and grinding. When you're done there, what's the conversation? And when did you just kind of realize, like, hey, I I think my time has come, and I've got you know grandkids, and I've got my health, and my you know my wife's still around, healthy, and maybe it's time for something different. Which must be a, a hard thing to come to after so many years involved in the game. You know what? I still have opportunities. I mean, I turned down an opportunity to coach somewhere else after Mississippi State. Yeah, and we loved our time there. I mean, that that was a very difficult job because it has, you know, a small recruiting base in the state that you share with another university in in Ole Miss in that case, mm-hmm. uh, and they're doing a good job. I'm really happy for my former players that have done well there in the last year and a half. Uh, but it was a great experience. Really nice people. Uh, really coached some great kids. And I, I feel really lucky to have had the opportunity to coach. Uh, and being in the SEC was special. You know, it's a, it's a whole different world down there in terms of how much they care about college athletics. And okay, especially yeah. Especially football. Yeah, uh, like, like some football down in the SEC, but they love everything. I mean, but football is the deal. It's just, you know, you don't have the pro sports. So when you're talking about, you know, University of Alabama or University of Arkansas or University of Tennessee, I mean, they are the only show in the state, and it's a big deal. Yeah. It's and, like- and there's just so much history and tradition, whether it's Georgia or Florida or Kentucky basketball. I mean, it's it's wild. It's really uh, a, a great league. Whatever you're doing right now, listening at work, rolling in your whip, walk, going for a walk, whatever it is, hang on for a sec. You like jerseys? You like stance socks? You like throwback? You like shoes? like anything related to basketball hit up atob ball and if you're not able to be there in store at langley event center check them out on the web and i guarantee you'll find something you like give us a mention and you'll never know shout out to our boy jeff atob ball for life for you know going forward you i mean you touched on it at the beginning of the episode do you see yourself just sort of dabbling in and, you know, watching practices and being kind of a resource for people if needed, speaking at clinics? Like, how are you going to find that balance of settling into sort of retired life? Because it probably, it takes time, right? And I don't know if you're feeling it already, like you are settled in, or if it's still a work in progress for you. It's a work in progress, but I, I've yeah. enjoyed my time, my freedom. Uh, you know, when you're coaching Division One head coach basketball, it is 24-7. You have to have blinders on. It's 365 days a year. There is nothing else. 
It's every day. There is no day off. You are always responsible for your program, your players, and everything that goes on with them on and off the floor. Mm-hmm. So it's constant. And uh, to uh, you know have that freedom to not be completely uh, you know tied down. What, what you know, and you are mentally at all times. Mm-hmm. I mean, you th- there is no time away. Uh, so it, it's been good. You know, yeah. you never say never. I mean, you never know what I'll do. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's pretty nice where I'm at right now. I think. Uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things about the college level too is, you know, at the pro level, there's GMs and it's different. Whereas like, you know, you wake up and, you know, it's sometimes college kids make college choices, right? And so, you know, you're, you're at the head of dealing with that too, right? You and the AD, you know, if something comes up. So it is a, it is literally a full-time thing. It's a 24 seven, which is. Yeah. Well, you, in March, when the season's over, you had a little breather. Mm-hmm. Now, now with the transfer portal, and then I, you have to put a whole new team together every year. Yeah, every, there is no, there is no break ever. Yeah, uh, and, and it's really, it, it makes it so much more difficult, and it's bad for the kids to not have the, you know, the continuity within a program and, and all the attributes that you gain from that versus changing, you know four schools in four years. It's crazy. It's like, you know, AAU, glorified AAU basketball. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the state of AAU these days? Well, you know, I don't know as much AAU. I just know college basketball. I think that the transfer portal has made things very, very difficult. Um, You know, I I think it's overall been a a tough thing, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, now you're, you're in the courts right now. They're trying to determine if they can just transfer every year, and that, that may pass. That that would be scary. There's no sense of uh, loyalty or honor. I agree. That's those are two good words. There is no sense of that, and uh, a little bit of a me first, which is which is tough to see, right? Yeah, but which is our culture. Sure. Which is our culture here uh, where we're from. We don't see it as much in the Euros. They come over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. All right. Let's do some fun questions and we'll get you on your way. Did you look these over or do you have no idea? No, I uh, I glanced at what you sent me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So you, maybe you and your wife, you've got the best seat in the house to a concert. Um, Who would you like to see? The artist can be dead or alive. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of good concerts, so that's yeah, a tough one for it me. Could, I mean, it, I, it could be a repeat. I, maybe, maybe it's one that you'd like to see again. That's okay. Your you choice. know, I'd like to see you. I haven't seen. I'd like to see Ed Sheeran. I'd really oh. like to see him. Uh, if you can give me tickets, that'd be great, Aaron. Uh, I'm available. I'll make that. <laughs> I'll make that happen for you. I'll tap into some people. <laughs> uh, but I'd really like to see Eddie. But you know, I've seen like. You know, I've seen all uh, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, ooh, to ooh. Marvin Gaye, to ooh. Prince, to uh, a number of people that I really like. Uh, oh. And I've seen, you know, some good rock and roll as well. I mean, I like John Mellencamp. I mean, I, there's a lot of different artists. Uh, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Crosby was from here in Santa Barbara. So it was always cool. James Taylor saw him the bowl this year along with. Uh, who else did I see? 
Oh, uh, Van Morrison was great. Oh, I bet that'd be Love fantastic. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of uh, different interests when it comes to music. I like that. I like the Ed Sheeran call. That's a good one. All right, there'll be someone out there. We'll get we'll get you taken care of, Coach. Uh, um, if you had a choice, so it's an you know you you wake up, maybe uh, your wife's out for the day, and you got the day ahead of you. Are you going books or are you going movies? Well, I'm a movie guy, hundred percent. Talk to me here. What's, you got some go tos that you go back to, or you just? Uh, I mean, I've seen I've seen Godfather one and two each probably sixty times. You know, Six zero times. Really? Yeah. Oh. I've seen it that many times. Love it. Uh, but I, but I've seen a bunch of movies multiple times. I mean, Goodfellas. You know, it's got to be forty. Casino got to be forty or fifty. That's one. But you know, I, I like different genres. You know, I like the Vietnam genres because I grew up in that too. So yeah. Platoon is a great one. Apocalypse Now is a great one. And, uh, Stanley Kubrick's one. Uh, it, it's really good. I mean, there's a number of really good war movies, uh, you know, that, that I've appreciated uh, over the years. But I, I love the movies of and certain actors and directors. Love it. Uh, what a, what am I a comedian? I amuse you, Goodfellas. What a movie! So good, so good. Pesci, yeah. classic. Okay, so then you are you're you're sitting down for that movie. Obviously, being aware, you know, we got to make healthy choices. But you get a little bit snacky. Is there a bag of chips that you might grab that stand out for you, or you not nah, a chip guy? Not, not really. I'm not no a big chip guy. I wouldn't say that. Uh-uh. So what are you going with then? Popcorn. Popcorn. Okay. That's fair. Do you do you ever dabble with like the white cheddar? Or you just keep it OG with just butter, salt, yeah, just, just butter, a little okay. bit of salt. Yeah, that's fair. Def, definitely no cheese. No. no. <laughs> All right. Um, you touched on it a little bit. You know, in your lifespan so far, who've been some of the most important people in your life? Well, you know, my parents, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, from there, I would say my coaches, my high school coach, Coach Desbro was really a good coach. My junior college coach, Ed DeLacy, my uh, Weber State coach, Neil McCarthy, really, really good coach. Mm. Uh, so they all had a huge effect on me. The guy that taught me how to play, Sal Rodriguez here at the Cleveland Boys Club, was a big influence. And in terms of being a coach, you know, working for Jerry Pam, I learned a lot from uh, having spent 11 years with him. And then, as I mentioned, Rick Majerus probably taught me as much as anybody about the game of basketball and, mm-hmm. you know, really tried to, to learn as much as I could from him because his whole life was dedicated to, you know, the game. Now, when you say, you mentioned, you said really, really good coach to you, what is, what makes a really, really good coach? Why would you say that about someone? A, a good teacher, someone who really has a, a plan, uh, you know, and can, can really get the information across, motivate, teach, you know, gets to the, to the details, the little things. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a lot. There's a lot, you know, it can also be the ability to recruit and get players, but, you know, I'll give you an example my junior college coach ran motion, which now is all they run yeah. in the NBA, but he was way ahead of his time. Right? I think we shot 55% for a team uh, on the year. I mean, he was really, really ahead of his time in terms of teaching five-man motion. 
And Neil Neil ended up being one of the foremost experts of uh, the amoeba defense. That's what Tark used to call it. Yep. But it was really a good defensive coach. You know, it was a one one three zone with pressure that uh, was unique. Fresno State did it with Boyd Grant. Tark did it the year they won the national championship and beat Duke by 30, was with that defense. So yeah. that, that was always interesting. Um, Good. Love it. All right, now you can take this however you want. So it could be maybe um, four of your favorite teammates, four of your favorite people you've coached, four of your favorite players of all time, but it's you and four other guys or ladies, doesn't matter, and you're on, but you're on the blacktop. So it's, you know, call your own threes and twos, whatever. So it's a different kind of game, right? There's, you know, there's no officials or anything. Who are, who are you going on the court with so you can run on the park all day, not lose? Well, I'm gonna, uh, I, I have to be on the team. I can't, uh, I have to be one of the five guys. Listen, you're Ben Howland. You're a Naismith coach of the year. You can coach the team and pick five okay. guys. How's that? All right. uh, uh, that's what I prefer. So I'm going to, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Kobe, Michael, uh, Magic, and then I'm going to go with uh, Kareem, and uh, I'm going to take uh, Larry Bird as my foreman. Uh, I would like to say I'm surprised by this five, but I'm not, and I love it. Magic. I think we could, I think we could score. I think you'd be all right. Yeah, I think you'd find a way to get it in the bucket somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you would. I don't know how much coaching you'd have to do. Um, okay. Wouldn't have to worry about the amoeba at all, I don't think. Magic Johnson, still overlooked in one of the greatest ever conversations, I think. I don't like the GOAT conversation, but uh, he was my favorite player growing up, and I think he changed so many things about the game. Um, he was a fantastic, fantastic player. So I love that selection. And Bird, of course, because of the rivalry. They pretty much saved the NBA, hey? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they created the interest that uh, that was my senior year, 79. Mm -hmm. That was Salt Lake City. I was at that game, Michigan State and uh, Indiana State. For the you were there? Uh-huh. Well, yeah. this guy, this guy's asking me to get him Ed Sheeran tickets, and he's at the Michigan State, Indiana State final. I think it's the other way around, coach, that you've got this messed up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a couple more questions. Do you have a hidden talent that anybody uh, that, that people might not know about? I'm really good at eating chocolate chip cookies. Um, <laughs> one of the best. <laughs> so what what makes a good chocolate chip cookie to you? Is it the chunks? Is it the moistness of the cookie? Like, and what do we have with it? Is it a glass of milk or just straight up just keep pounding the cookies? Maybe milk or water, but uh, yeah. Definitely, I, I like dark chocolates. I want the okay. dark chocolate morsels. Okay. Like, you know, out of the oven about, you know, 20 minutes after they're out of the oven, they're still nice and warm. Yeah. But yeah, my wife makes like really good chocolate cookies. <laughs> this is a new, <laughs> this is a new question to the podcast and nobody has said they've, uh, they had a talent for eating anything. So <laughs> You know, well I, I like to fly fish. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, because up yeah. your way, there's some good spots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, but fly fishing is one of my passions. Nice. Good way to just spend yeah. the day and just get your mind off things, hey? It's great. Yeah. Now, you may not, I'm guessing you probably don't dabble in cereal anymore, but being a grandparent, you may have some in your uh, 
in your cupboards. I don't know. But uh, what what do you think is the greatest cereal of all time? Well, rice checks are what I eat now currently. But the greatest as a child would have been Lucky Charms. How unhealthy they were doesn't really, you know, uh, register with a 10-year-old. But Lucky Charms, magically delicious. Guess what we have in our cupboard in our house? Yeah, some Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's not, it's not a cereal if it doesn't change the color of the milk, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's so unhealthy. <laughs> so bad. So bad. All right, Coach. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, last question for you. Who, who would you like to see on our podcast? Is there someone out there that you know has a good story, is you know not afraid to just chat it up and talk basketball and sort of life, and they could be a coach, a player, um, but the pressure would be on you. So don't throw anybody's name out there that you don't think would be willing to do it. Is there someone out there that's got a good story for us? You know what? Let me think about it. I'll get back with you. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. Last thoughts or reflections? Thank you so much. I mean, you're... Um, a legendary coach, a Hall of Famer in so many different ways. I love how basketball creates connections with people um, and that, you know, our buddy Andrew Mavis had the opportunity to work with you when you were just getting going and, and what that turns into and that you guys still have a relationship and how powerful that is. But do you have any last thoughts or uh, reflections before we let you go? Just that I was very blessed to be able to do what I did for a living as a basketball coach my entire life. And, and that's, believe me, that's really, I am very grateful and very thankful to uh, God for that because not many people get to do what they love to do. And I always reflect upon that. I was really fortunate. So I'm thankful. That's great. And I think if there's one thing people can take away is just that um, if you're sitting there in your car or at home, listening to this episode and kind of thinking, you know, I'm not really happy with my work or whatever, you got to pursue things that you love and, and wake up every day excited about it. And, and coach, you did that for decades and decades. And we're thankful for everything you've done for the game. Health and happiness to you and your family and uh, continued success and whatever it is you choose to do in retired life. I hope you catch as many fish as you can and eat as many chocolate chip cookies as you can until your wife tells you to stop. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Good visiting with you. You're welcome. You too. Episode 128, and we will see everybody on the next one. Thank you.